This is Joel Frost for TheMovieGuys.net. On the phone here, I have Steve Lemmy, one of the five members of Broken Lizard, a comedy ensemble well-known for some very funny movies such as Beer Fest, Club Dread, and Super Troopers. Thanks for taking some time to talk to us during Broken Lizard's live comedy tour, Steve. Pleasure. The tour started in the summer and wraps up with a big show here in NYC at the Nokia Theater on December 4th, right? Uh, yeah, Friday, December 4th at the Nokia. Great. And the, you're, you're, you're near the end of the tour now, right? How, how's it been going? Uh, the tour has been great. Um, it's been awesome. Yeah, we started in, in uh, Burlington, Vermont in July. And then, uh, yeah, we have just a few dates. We're going uh, this Thursday night. We'll be in Boulder. Um, and then Friday night we'll be in Seattle. And Saturday night we'll be in Portland, Oregon, and then uh, and then we have uh, you know a, a hiatus for Thanksgiving, and then we have one more show in New York City on uh, on December fourth. But we are gonna actually shoot this as a as a concert film, um, and so we're trying to figure out where and when that's gonna be. But probably uh, that'll be sometime in uh, in January or February that we'll we'll film that. That was actually my next question: uh, when we could maybe hope to see that. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I uh, yeah, I anticipate all your all your. <laughs> uh, so I get, I get very thorough answers. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, we're talking about maybe shooting it uh, in New Orleans um, is one possibility. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, maybe Mardi Gras, although I don't, I don't know that anybody really wants to wait too long uh, or wants to wait that long. But, uh, you know, we're going to try and line up some, some guests to do the show. I know, uh, you know, Will Forte wants to do it. We're going to talk to uh, Jim Gaffigan. Um uh, wants to come reprise some of his, uh, his roles in our films. He's actually in the, the new movie, Slam, um, as well as being in the meow scene of, uh, of Super Troopers. So, um, you know, we're sort of putting that all together right now. Great. Um, yeah, those are a couple of guys that have uh, that have been worked with you before, um, and that's nice to, to know that they might be involved in the, the live show as well. You know, our, our approach has always been very familial. Um, you know, like we, we have people now in our movies that, you know, we're on the crew of the first movie, Public Cruiser, that we did, uh, you know, back in, in 96. And so, you know, it's just a matter of, oh, you meet people and you work with them, and if you get along, there's absolutely no reason not to, you know, keep working with them. And so it's nice now because I would say, you know, at least, you know, 33% of our crew are people we've worked with, you know, multiple times. And, you know, our group of actors that we've worked with uh, keeps expanding and uh, getting better. So, uh, so you know, it's, it's 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 always great too. It's like a reunion when uh, when you're all working on something uh, together again after you know a year, year and a half apart. So that's great. I want to ask you a little bit about the, uh, the more about the the live shows. Um, you guys got your start together at Colgate University back in the '90s. Have you resurrected any of the old skits from those days? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, and no, I mean, we have uh, we're we're doing one sketch that like you know we back in, in college we did this thing with, which was Socrates and Plato um, where they're basically just these dialogues where Socrates was the tutor and Plato was just you know dumb as a box of rocks and Socrates keeps getting annoyed with him uh, you know I played Socrates and Kevin Hefferton who played Marva and Landfill um, uh, played Plato and so you know, we had done that once in college, and then when we came to New York and we were doing our live show originally, you know, back in the 90s when we were, like, you know, 21, we did that sketch, 
And then it was so popular that we did three more of them. And then, you know, we wrote a movie script uh, based on that, which is called The Greek Road, mm-hmm. which is sort of like our opus. It's, it's the one we've been dying to do. And it's, you know, it's a bigger budget ancient Greek uh, movie. But um, so we decided, you know, for, for this live show, since we, you know, we hadn't been on stage for such a long time, that we would resurrect those characters. Um, and so, you know, we, we've been doing them. I don't think we're going to do it in New York. We actually want to, like, the show has gotten really long, and we replaced it with something else that Kevin and I have been doing in New York, which is an ode to Patrick Swayze. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I think for the live movie, we're going to shoot the, the Socrates and Plato sketch. So, so that's one. And then, uh, you know, one of the guys sings a song that... Uh, that he's been singing for, for since since, uh, since New York City. Uh, everything else is totally original. It's, uh, you know, we're doing some audience participation with uh, characters from Super Troopers and uh, Beer Fest. Uh, we're all doing stand-up comedy, and uh, we're showing a clip from Slam and Santa, too. Can you d- elaborate a little bit on the Patrick Swayze sketch? That's piqued my interest now. <laughs> um, you know, basically, we were... A few of us were huge Patrick Swayze fans, um, you know, back in back in the nineties, and all the way through to, to two thousand. You know, he had a, a great body of work. Look, go down the list, and they're great movies. You know, it's like Roadhouse and The Outsiders, and uh, you know, and, and, and Point Break, and, and Dirty Dancing, and Ghost. You know, Next of Kin, mm-hmm. um, Youngblood, and uh, even like the, the Chippendale sketch with Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live. Like, there's so many, so many great things. And my character from you know, from Club Dread, I play a guy named Juan Castillo. In English, Juan Castillo means Johnny Castle, which is the name of Swayze's character, Dirty Dancing. Uh-huh. Uh, so, like, we're real fans and, of his. And, uh, and so sort of, like, you know, in honor of, of his passing, we, uh, we're telling the story of the, the night that we met Patrick Swayze, which, uh, which actually happened before we made Super Troopers. It was sort of like our first, our first day in Hollywood, and we had you know, this guy that we adored, and uh, and it went horribly wrong. So that's that's the story we're telling. Well, that sounds great. Now, you talk about how during the live show you use, uh, all of you guys use characters from movies a lot. That That's an integral part of the live show. Are there hints about the direction of uh, any of the possible sequels, like Potfest or Super Troopers 2? Well, you know, there's a hint about the sequel to Beer Fest, um, but, you know, that's uh, we're actually leading people astray with, with that one. Um, we, you know, we are, we're, we sold, it's not a sequel to Potfest, or it's not a sequel to Beer Fest. I mean, like, like the, the Potfest joke, the Beer Fest, meant, was meant to actually be a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we got so many stoners coming up to us. You know, I'll walk down the street and I'll just hear, Potfest! <laughs> and, you know, like, people just are dying to see what happens uh, when we walk through that door with, with Willie Nelson. Right. Um, we're actually, we're going to make a movie called Pot Quest, and uh, it's not going to have the same characters, but it is going to be the movie people are, are looking for. So there is a movie coming. Uh, there is a Broken Lizard weed movie coming. Um, but, uh, you know, we have to write it. And, uh, you know, Super Troopers 2, we are actually writing. Um and we discussed it with the studio. Um, we're just going to write it and get it to a place where we feel comfortable and then, you know, try to set it up because we have a lot of people who want um, to finance that film. And uh, so, and we really want to do it. And we didn't know how much we wanted to do it until we started writing it, uh, you know, like five months ago. And uh, it was just great. You know, it's like, you know these characters and, uh, and now we have them in a new situation. 
Um, so, so you know, we're we're excited about that. Um, and then we, you know, we have a project set up with Universal right now, which is actually the main thing that we're working on, which is uh, it's called Rogue Scholars, and uh, it's it's basically super troopers at a college university. Like we play the college professors, and these uh, this group of seniors, like there's like a, you know like there's like a prankster society that that pulls pranks every year on the professors and. Finally, this year they go too far, and we, the professors, decide to fight back, and it becomes basically an all-out war with this uh, secret society, and uh, and people get hurt. Joel, uh-huh. get hurt. Yeah. So uh, so that's what we're we're working on uh, right now. Well, that's good to hear. I don't I, I don't think a movie can truly be funny unless people are getting hurt. Oh, lives get changed. Uh-huh. You know. Uh-huh. We're shattered in this movie, and we're you know that's that's what we're we're taking it. We're going dark on this one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fortunately, I think that'll be uh, that'll be welcome to to many uh, broken lizard fans. Yeah, you know, listen, we're you know we're growing up now. We can't uh, we can't play college students, and uh, we can't just you know chug beers all the time. But sort of a way that we can still remain close to the to the college campus. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, I think it, you know if you if the new movie Slam and Salmon like sort of reflects. You know, I, I'm not going to say a mature on our part. Um, certainly more mature. But, uh, you know, we're growing. We're growing with our fans. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's like, you know, we've been doing this uh, this tour. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of college students, uh, you know, at our shows. But we also have, like, a lot of people in their 30s now. Mm-hmm. You know? So uh, so our fan base is, is growing, which is nice. Uh-huh. Um, now, could you tell me a little bit about the Slam and Salmon, which comes out on December eleventh, and you know what the film's about, and uh, and what it was like uh, filming it? Um, yeah, I mean, for for anyone who who's listening to this, you should all know that Joel and I used to work at the uh, seafood restaurant in New York called uh, called City Crab, um, and the movie is about a group of waiters who work in a seafood restaurant in Miami, and. In this case, the, uh, the the restaurant is owned basically by like a Mike Tyson uh, type of character. He is a former heavyweight uh, boxing champion of the world, and uh, and he's a lovable guy, but he's also prone to tantrums and he and violence. And uh, he's played by Michael Clark Duncan, who was the big dude in the Green Mile. And so basically the part of the movie is that, uh, is that Cleon Salmon, Clark Duncan's character, he's you know, the boxer, mm-hmm. uh, Cleon Salmon, who owns the restaurant, has gotten into some financial trouble. The top-selling waiter he's actually going to give a prize to, a cash prize to, and, uh, and the lowest waiter as an incentive to sell that he's going to beat the shit out of. And, uh, and that's the plot of the new movie. Now that sounds very familiar. That the, the, the general premise. I, I, I've known managers like that. I know. I know you have too. And uh, so I can see how this evolved from the real life experience. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, like uh, two of the guys, two of the other guys in Broken Lizard, uh, and I. We, we like we we actually worked in another restaurant together before I came over to City Crab, and. Uh, you know, and then I became the career guy. I, I worked at City Crab for, you know, six or seven years. Um, and so basically what we did is we sat down and just, you, you know how it is. It's like everybody who waits tables, like waiting tables is one of the greatest jobs in life, just simply because you get instant cash. Mm-hmm. And then you also get instant comedy. You know, like every day is an adventure. And at the end of that, 
the day, all the waiters get together and go out and, and commiserate about what would happen. Everybody's got an awesome story to tell, you know, like five great stories to tell about, you know, what happened that night. And so it's just like, you know, it's a job that, that really, I don't know, I, like I, I loved it for, for the most part until like the last two years that I was, that I was miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, everybody was like, oh, we got to tell these stories, man. We got to, like, there's so many great stories here. And so, like, we sat down and just sort of, you know, wrote down every story we could remember from our waiting tables days. And then, you know, you don't want, we didn't want to write a story that was just like you had to be a waiter to get it. You know, it's like the, you know, like all the inner workings of the kitchen, like, don't fuck with the waiters because they're the last person to see your food. Like, we, we didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Plus, we don't we don't like to pick on people in our movies. That's sort of our our, our, our philosophy. We never we're not mean spirited people, so we're never taking advantage of somebody unless they they fuck with us first. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so we we sort of try to triple a a lot of the inside jokes um, and and make the restaurant the, the background for the movie. And then uh, you know we were like, well, okay, everybody has a crazy boss. We're like, is it a mob guy? Like, who is it? We're like, no, that's that's a little bit, you know, that's a little bit rote. You know, the mob, the mob guy now. And then we're like, what about Mike Tyson on the restaurant? We're like, ooh, that'd be good. And so, you know, like a, a crazy heavyweight champion it was. So, you, Joel, you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of um, familiar things about this movie. Yeah, I'm curious about that. I know some of the uh, names were were derived from uh, actual names of people at City Crab. Is that true? <laughs> My lawyers right now are waving to me not to answer this question. <laughs> uh, but the fact matters, all the people, you know, there are names, you know, are sort of composites of, of people that we, uh, you know, that we came across um, in, uh, in, in all of our waitering careers. Like, my name is, is you know, a combination of a, a waiter at... Uh, City Crab and a waiter at this first restaurant where I worked at, where we had a, another good friend who actually is still in the restaurant business. There might be a few City Crab names in there. There might be some uh, some names from other restaurants in there. But uh, you know, we're trying to fill out to uh, you know as many people as we can. Gotcha. Now you say you enjoyed being a waiter uh, up until about the last two years, and in the movie, uh, your character Connor is an actor who's fired and has to return to his former job as a waiter. Is that a personal nightmare for you? Yeah, I mean that's and that is basically what I'm talking about. Like, like my my character's story in the movie is based on that of my life, which you know I was working at City Crab, and you know, I think I had been working for three years, and we made Puddle Cruiser, and we sold Puddle Cruiser to one of the big networks. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't say which one it was. And they like the way it works on TV is you get paid a lot of money. Like, you, you agree on a contract, and they give you an advance. And the advance is, we sign a deal, here's the advance. When you write the script, you know, whether or not it makes it on the air, we will pay you the rest of the, of the money. And so, you know, we had our contract, and we got our advance, and, you know, divided it five ways, and took out commission, and after the five ways split, and the commission, and the taxes, it was like a $4,500 check for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, like, the, like the advance. And... At that time, that was the most, that was the biggest check I had ever gotten in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, beside myself with happiness. I was like, holy shit, I'm a, I'm a fucking millionaire. <laughs> By the way, am I allowed to swear? Oh, please do. I, I was actually going to ask you if you could swear more, in fact. 
Hey, cocksucking nun cunt. Um, yeah, so, so, so I thought that was much amount of money. And it's like, as any waiter will tell you, like, if they get a big, um, like a big check, something like that, they'll still keep their job because they're cautious. But if you fuck with them for one second, like if the management comes down for one second, they will throw their apron in that person's face and walk out of the restaurant. Be like, fuck you, motherfucker, I'm never coming back. Mm-hmm. Which is essentially what happened to me. Like, you know, one of the managers fucked with me and I was like, I'm out of here. And like, and, and walked out. And, because, you know, because I knew that regardless, that after one year's time of her contract, I was going to be getting, you know, one-fifth of this merge of money that was coming at the, like, you know, the other 80% of the, of the contract, right? And so, and that was going to be a lot of money. And so, you know, what happened was the network never actually commenced us to write the script, and we never actually wrote anything or took a meeting on it. And we were so ignorant about it. We were like, you know, we were just kids, and we were like, Oh well, who cares? You know, you know, in one year's time, we're getting a shitload of money, and you know, six months went by. We're like, well, I guess they don't want us to do anything for our money. And like nine months went by, we're like, this is crazy. This is gonna give us all that money. We're not doing anything. A year came. We're like, let's have our money, bitches. Uh And there there was a loophole in the contract that if we never started working on anything, they didn't have to pay us. And I guess they had decided, actually, we don't want this thing. (laughs) <laughs> they never contacted us, so we never contacted them, and so we actually did not get any of that money. And now I had like a, like twenty six thousand dollar credit card debt, and so I had to return to City Crab with my tail between my legs. And luckily, I was friends with the owner from uh, for gro- growing up, and so he he let me have my job back. Um, but I remember like all you fucking waiters gave me the slow clap when I walked in there. <laughs> or you might not have been there at that, at that point in time, but uh, but everyone like was lined up and, and they gave me a nice slow clap, sarcastic welcome back to the restaurant. And um, and, uh, and you know, it was a bummer. And, like, and then I was there for another two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that time, I, I grew to be a little bit more of the miserable uh, waiter. And, uh, you know, where people would be like, you should smile more often. Fuck <laughs> you. Um, you know, because there was, uh, you know, because then it took us five years, it took us five years to get the money for Super Troopers. So I was really sort of uh, wallowing in, in misery. All right. Well, tell me this also. Uh, during the filming of it, did you have, uh, did you ever have a moment where you were thinking, you know, I used to actually do this. I used to actually be a waiter, and now here I am making a movie about it. You, you know, the, I think the time I had the strongest feeling of that was the night after I tried on my waiter uniform. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know how, I don't know if it happened with you, but anybody who's been waiting tables for a while starts to have these things very appropriately called waiter nightmares mm-hmm. or waiter dreams. I don't know if you had them. I started to have them all the time where it's like you're in the weeds, you mm-hmm. know, like you're in your shift and the hostess keeps seating you with like a table of 20, a table of 30 and you're, you know, only your section is full and, and you're slammed and you can't get anywhere. And like, you know, I used to have that that nightmare, I, I used to have one that recurred where I was waiting tables in Grand Central Station and I had all the tables in the downstairs concourse and then the hostess gave me a table upstairs mm-hmm. and I'd be walking up the stairs carrying a cup of hot chocolate on a tray and just spilling all the hot chocolate over the sides and I couldn't keep it in. I'd, and I'd like wake up and be like, ah, that was just a dream. And, uh, you know, after like I, I stopped waiting tables, 
for good, they went away after a few months. And like, I still had them. And and it's funny because it's like, anytime like I started to have like financial difficulties, mm-hmm. like the waiter nightmares would come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I'd have them for a few nights. I'd be like, oh my God, we got to get it together. And then like, you know, I, like I was done with them for, for a long time. And then the day that I went and tried on my, my wardrobe for, for the movie, like I was in the wardrobe and I was like, I put on, you know, the shirt and I put on the pants and I, I tucked the shirt in, put on the shoes and then I got the apron and I was really tying the apron around my waist. I was like, this feels sickeningly familiar. <laughs> and like, I did not feel good about it. I was like, God, I, like I actually, I have that dread. You know, like when you're about to start a shift, you do, everyone has an uneasiness. You're like, ugh eight hours of work ahead of me and like that that was coming back to me and of course like you know putting sliding the crummer into the apron pocket and the check presenter I was like oh I'm gonna be sick to my stomach and um that night I had uh, I had several waiter nightmares um and uh and then I like you know it, it really became like that like for for the next like five weeks of shooting the movie I'd show up on the set now I realize it sounds like you know like asshole actor, you know, oh, you know, I'm in a movie that I'm complaining about it, but like, I'd show up, and I'd go in, and I'd see, you know, it takes place in one night, so my only costume is that, that waiter's uniform, and I'd go, and I'd, I'd tie my apron on, and like, put my uniform on, and wait for my, sh- my 16-hour shift to begin, mm-hmm. and it's like, you're like, oh, these shoes are uncomfortable, and like, and literally, I'm like, for, you know, eight hours, I'm carrying this tray with, you know, these five mugs of beer on it and it's starting to get heavy and, it, and this tray is gross. Why won't somebody wash it better? You know, like, you're like, oh my God, I'm just falling back into the same trap. I'm, I'm glad we're done shooting that movie. Was the costume washed on a daily basis or was it in an effort to be more realistic uh, left much in the way that waiters, like I certainly remember the way I did it, which was to rarely wash my uniform. <laughs> I, you mean never wash. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that's that's a great question, and that's the first time anybody's asked me that. And the truth is, no, we actually, they get, they get washed every night, um, you know, by the wardrobe department. But now that I think of it, like, Robert De Niro would have kept his uniform stinky. <laughs> you know, like, I remember when, like, the, the, the few times over the six years that I actually did wash my waiter uniform, like, particularly my pants, it was like there was a dead fish in my, in my bag. Mm-hmm. Like, those clothes smelled so bad once you got them out of the restaurant. But in the restaurant, they just smell like a, you know, like you're part of the, the, the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that Michael Clark Duncan plays uh, Cleon Salmon in the new movie, The Slammin' Salmon. Uh, Broken Lizard films always have excellent co-stars, from Linda Carter and Brian Cox in Super Troopers to Bill Paxton in Club Dread, Jurgen Prochnow and Cloris Leachman in Beer Fest, and now Michael Clark Duncan and Lance Henriksen, among others, in Slammin' Salmon. Have any of the actors you've worked with really been uh, personal heroes to you? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like, it's funny, because the one, the one guy you didn't mention was Donald Sutherland, who is in the opening scene of Beer Fest, and I always forget that. Because <laughs> um, we didn't actually work with him. Like, he, he showed up on a separate day and shot all the scenes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know by himself, because he's on, on a TV monitor. He's, you know, he's a personal hero. Um, Bill Paxton <clears throat> certainly was, uh, you know, I grew up watching, I mean, he was in some of those movies, he's Chet, you know, mm-hmm. although he hates, like, he hated when, when we were talking about Chet, like, he's, he's like, oh man, that was my first goddamn movie, I did that so long ago, he liked anything else I've done since then, 
he's, he's tired of the chess stuff, but he was, he was a great one. I mean, you know, past thoughts. Cloris Leachman was, uh, you know, was amazing. I mean, like, she was in Mel Brooks movies, and, you know, she was in High Anxiety and Young Frankenstein, and, Mm-hmm. I mean, she had her own TV series, and she was Miss America. So her stories were out of control, yeah. and she's and she's unbelievably talented, uh, and she's won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. She was she was cool. I mean, you know, that, like the, the crazy thing, is, you know, it, it's like you grow up just being a fan of the movie. Like if you've been to movies, you, it, it means you were a fan of them. Right. So you've seen all these people. Like you know, you see a lot of movies and. You know, sitting there with, with Cloris Leach and one, one between takes, I think it was, you know, the scene where we're at, uh, at her house and she's, you know, warming up the, the summer sausage. We're in between takes and we're just, and she's just chatting and I'm like, this is so unbelievable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you had me, you know, when I was, you know, 11 years old watching Young Frank, like if I ever thought I was going to be working with that woman, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like there's no fucking way, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like Donald Sutherland. I watched Donald Sutherland opening up your movie, and you're like, you know, I've seen that dude in so many movies. You know, he's the professor in Animal House, uh-huh. and like, you know, he's in Mash. He's Hawkeye. Like he's he's in so many awesome things. Invasion of the Hawkeye. You're like, oh wait, I'm gonna work with that guy in a fucking way. Uh-huh. So I mean, you know, it's like there's a, a certain amount of, of being starstruck by all these people when you, when you meet them for the first time. You know. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, I noticed that, you know, you've got Lance Henriksen in Slam and Salmon, and then you mentioned we were talking about Bill Paxton also, of course, and they were both in the classic film Aliens. I yeah. wondered if you got to trade any uh, lines from Aliens with either of those guys. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, Paxton, you know, I mean, Paxton is a hilarious guy. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot more time with him. Like I, I spent 10 weeks with him in Mexico, and we're still friends, you know, like I see him pretty often. And, uh, and we have some funny conversations. And so, like, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I've pretty much gone through all of his movies. But, uh, Lance Henriksen, when he showed up, he, he was only there for a few days. And I, I have a, a bit of a boy crush on him because uh, he was in one of my favorite movies of all time, which is a seldom-seen movie called uh, Stone Cold. With, uh, that's not Brian Bosworth. Uh, uh, of course. Like, uh, uh, an FBI guy who's undercover to infiltrate this motorcycle gang, which is run by Lance Henriksen. And he plays him in chains. And he's just tough as nails. And this movie is actually awesome. It's an awesome movie with plot twists that you do not see coming. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and my scenes were all with him. Like, all of his scenes have to do with me. Because um, he's, he's, he plays the producer of the show, of the TV show that I get fired from. Um, and he comes in to eat at the restaurant. So, you know, it was cool working with him. And we talked about Stone Cold a lot. That was our big conversation. And we, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, about some of the other movies. But uh, interestingly, Paxton was the one who called up Lance Henriksen and and uh, and told him that we were okay to work with and he should come down and, and do our movies. So, so Paxton helped out with that. Wonder Woman is, is uh, and, and Morgan Fairchild were interesting because, like, when I was 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, like, they were the ladies, you know, that were in my fantasies. Absolutely. So, yeah, so when we made Super Troopers and Wonder Woman walked on set, it was like, he looked around at all of us, and it's like all of our cheeks and ears were red from like the, the embarrassing sex flush that was uh, you know, running through our bodies. 
<laughs> now, did those did those women seem to have a sense of of that sort of thing? Because I imagine with uh, with men in general, and particularly men of a certain age, like you're in my age, who are a little bit younger, maybe just getting toward uh, um, the age of change when they were on TV and <laughs> Wonder Woman in that outfit and that sort of thing. Did they have a real seem to have a sense of uh, you know an appreciation of how we had appreciated them when we were younger? <laughs> Yeah, and by age of change, you mean the age of masturbation. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you, you, you ask that, because in, you know, in, in my stand-up, like my stand-up, I actually talk pretty much entirely about masturbation uh, through the years, you know, starting with your adolescence. And uh-huh. it, I, it's funny, the reference Wonder Woman in, in my act, and in, in D.C., we are just in Washington, D.C. last uh, Thursday night. Uh, she, she lives there, Linda Carter, and she came to the show. And so beforehand, I sort of had to warn her. I was like, you know, Linda, I'm about to, I'm going to say some pretty filthy things mm-hmm. uh, about you. So I apologize in advance. And uh, so, you know, I did my act. And afterwards, she came backstage. And she's like, you know, it's so funny because all, all guys your age, the conversations pretty much start the same way, which is like, back when I was 13. And, like, <laughs> and she's like, literally, I just hold out my hand. I don't want to hear it. I know. I got it. <laughs> she's like, my entire life has been is guys your age coming up to me saying, back when I was thirteen. So, so she, they, these women are fully aware of, uh, of you know of who they were. All right. Well, now you you've told me a bit about uh, what's coming up with the with the films after Slam and Salmon. Is there anything next for you personally aside from Broken Lizard, or are you pretty much well wrapped up in all this stuff? No, I mean you know I'm uh, trying to raise money for a, a movie called Run for the Border. Uh, that I want to direct, which was written by these uh, these two filthy-minded dudes who, uh, like, somehow I, I got my hands on this unbelievable script. Uh, you know, got some actors attached to it, um, and, and now it's just a matter of putting together the financing, which is not easy to do these days uh, mm. because of the economy. Right. Um, so that's that would be my directorial debut, um, and you know, like like the other guys in the group, I've, I've got scripts that I'm writing on my own, um, you know, aside from the group. But, you know, I think for us, it, it always comes back to, like, the best things we do are together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the collaboration has, has worked well for us throughout the years. And so, um, you know, we're sort of hit a new a new era in our, in our careers. Um, you know, we've had a little bit of a slow spot for the last couple since Beer Fest. We've a new movie coming out. Um which will be a smaller release than we're, you know, than we've had before. It's going to be a platform release, um, but that's okay because we did this movie independently. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, we've got this movie set up with Universal, and so we've got the Super Troopers two um, in the works. And so I think our plan is, you know, to really in the next couple of years uh, sort of come back huge um, and go much broader with our audience. Um, but you know, it's still R rated. Uh, comedy sensibility well good that's good to hear i think yeah in particular uh i mean super troopers 2 i think is very highly anticipated which is why we're taking our time you know it's like so many sequels they don't they don't put care into it you know they just throw it out there and for us it's important you know more more so than ever you know like no we didn't really know we were doing it at the time forever you know however it it came together it came together well and, and properly um and the result was something that we couldn't possibly have ever imagined or, or you know, you know, you daydream about it and then you slap yourself. You're like, oh, shut up, that's never going to happen. I just want this movie to be seen in, you know, on 
you know, in one movie script, all we ever hoped for. Uh-huh. You know, it has exceeded our, our expectations because of that. Like, we don't want to come back with some jive-ass piece of shit sequel, but we're up for the challenge, so we're, you know, we're going we're gonna to try to do it properly. <clears throat> Great. Well, we're looking forward to that for sure. Um, I've got another couple of questions here from Paul Preston, who runs the MovieGuys.net. Um, okay. <clears throat> now, Paul and I are both from upstate New York, and uh, I know you spent some time up there, of course, at Colgate. And Paul wants yeah. to know, it's, he says it's probably worth asking how you found anything up there funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, central New York is inherently funny. <laughs> and the fact that, you know... There are all kinds of things to see there. I mean, that's smack dab, like, you know, in the middle of Appalachia. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got, uh, you've got some of that business going on. Um, you know, I mean, there is, I think there is an, an inherent conflict in, in boredom. And a, a, a bleak winter can lead to, you know, a lot of drunken, stony nights, uh, you know, in dark places where all you're doing is laughing about the most mundane bullshit uh-huh. in the world. Um, and so, you know, I think, uh, I don't know. I, it, what were those trees? Like the, not ginkgo trees. There's some stinky trees that we have there, which, like, they smell like farts. Like ginkgo <laughs> trees? No. I actually can't think of them offhand. I don't know. Where are you guys from? Oneonta. Oneonta. Oh, my God. So you're like really near where I went to college. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever spend any time in Oneonta? Or, of course, Stonyanta, as uh, I imagine you, you may have heard it? Yeah, no, I mean, all of the, like, Onondaga County and, sh- and like, the Shenango Valley, you know, like, it's funny, because when we were in college, there was, like, a, a huge marijuana drought. And so, like, you know, it's like we were reduced to smoking the Shenango Bango, is what we called it. <laughs> Um, and that was just like hay with corn in it, you know, that like, you know, barely buzzed us at all. So, um, you know, CNY, what is it, 315? Is that the area code up there, the 315? Uh, ours was 607. Um, I think ours was 315 up at, up at Colgate. I also don't remember a marijuana drought, I have to say. <laughs> I may be older than you. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, it's funny, we were just in Syracuse a couple months ago, and that turned out to be, I would say like one of the rowdiest stops on the entire tour, like just drunk CNY people. Cause you know, everyone knows there's not much else to do in CNY, but get drunk and party. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they were exceptional at it. And we had a rowdy ass show in, in Syracuse. Um, here, another question from him. He says, how did you get saddled with always referring to cupping the ball sack in the broken lizard movies? How did I get saddled with that? Mm-hmm. That would be a relative term. I'm, I'm proud of uh, being the guy who's talking about cupping the ball sack. Um, so I, you know, so I will tell Paul it's not a burden; it's a pleasure. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, just one more thing I want to ask before you go. I have a pitch for Dukes of Hazard too, and I was wondering if maybe you could pass it on to Jay. <laughs> okay. You should. You should know that that movie has already come come and gone. They they uh, put that one straight to video. Oh, it has. Yeah. Oh, well, how about Deuce of Hazard 3? Uh, Deuce of Hazard 3? Sure. What's your pitch? Well, it would involve Coy and Vance. It would <laughs> Coy and Vance. Oh, I see. Right. The other. Hey, you know, that guy, one of either Coy or Vance, the actor that played that guy actually went to Colgate. So now you're bringing this thing full circle. Oh, okay, there you go. So, uh, so go on. Coy and Vance. Coy and Vance, I think anyone can say that was the, the most absurd time on Dukes of Hazard. 
where the the actors uh, John Schneider and Tom Wopat were were having a uh, salary dispute, so they left the show, and the show called in two other actors to play Coy and Vance, the cousins of the Duke boys. And as I recall, they showed up on camera, and within about thirty seconds, were in the General Lee driving around, you know, trying to convince the viewers that they were essentially the Duke boys. And so the way to, to extrapolate that into a film is to have Coy and Vance come in as agents of Boss Hogg, as the kinder, gentler Duke boys, okay. sort of as an answer to uh, – uh, the, the original Cooter, I remember, had complaints about the, uh, the Dukes of Hazard film, suggesting oh. that it wasn't family-friendly enough. And this is an answer to the whole desire to have things family-friendly versus really real and, and uh, you know, warts and all. Sure. I love it. There was also, I think, Enos. They brought in another Enos to come in for a mm-hmm. while, too. Cletus was his name. They brought uh, in a guy named Cletus. Uh-huh. During the, the, that, you know, that might have happened after Coin Vance. Like, they might have, in an effort to, because after Coin Vance, then the show tanked, even when they brought Bo and Luke back, like, the show was dead. Yep. Um, Joel, I'm going to pass your ideas uh, on. I'm going to kick them off the line. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> okay, I'm sure you'll be receiving a phone call soon. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, uh, I'll make sure to get back in touch with you about that if I haven't gotten that phone call soon, okay? Yes, stay on. Okay. (laughs) Great. Well, Steve, thanks very much for sitting down and talking to us at themovieguys.net. It's a great pleasure. And uh, um, actually, one more thing I should probably tell uh, the the listeners. One of my favorite times that we ever had together after working one night uh, a bunch of us were hanging out after work and then you and I got the great idea at around four in the morning to try to pull the tablecloth off a table that had lots of uh, glassware on it do you you remember this yes and how did that go well you know I tried this a couple times Joel I tried this a couple times Uh, if I remember correctly Mm-hmm. It well, if I remember correctly, I always nailed it, uh-huh. and I get well. <laughs> okay, it ended in disaster. Uh-huh. But like, is that the way you remember it? I do remember it ending in disaster. But I think we might have determined that the reason why it did is because we we both pulled on it. Right, right. You had to like when you pull on for the tip out there for anyone who does it. Mm-hmm. It is possible. I've done it several times. And it's a fucking thrill, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to commit to it, and you have to pull that tablecloth in one fluid, smooth motion as fast as you possibly can. And if you can do that, everything will stay perfectly still. However, if you if you uh, if you hesitate or have any any sort of you know ripple in your in your motion. You will, you know, everything will catch, and you will shatter everything on that uh, on that table. Which is essentially what happened that time, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The other thing is, like, it's it's actually not really possible with cloth. Mm. Um, you need it's the paper. Like when we had the paper on on those tables upstairs, mm-hmm. I can do that. I'll, I'll walk into City Crab right now and and pull out that uh, that that piece of paper from under all the play settings. Mm-hmm. So you've put more thought into this since that time. Well, because I remember what you're talking about now, and I was actually devastated by the fact that I failed. Um, because I had, I had regarded myself as such a good um, tablecloth yanker. Mm-hmm. And, 
and that was you know, sort of like George Foreman in, in, in the Rumble in the Jungle. Like I never tried again after that. Uh, you know, I went into a horrible depression about it because <laughs> I shattered some some glassware. Um, and I, you know, you know me, I have so much braggadocio <laughs> about uh, about things like that. So you know, I need another chance, and maybe um, you know when I get back to New York City, I'm gonna walk in the city crap and, and take another another yank at one of those things. And I think that if I do it again, I will try to follow your advice of the the, the fluid movement and no cloth. Look, it's it's a leap of faith, you <laughs> know, like. You're sitting there holding the tablecloth and looking at all, like the plates and the glasses and all these things on it, and you're saying to yourself, "If I yank this thing too hard, everything is going to go flying. I'm going to make a disaster." And so you almost like you hedge your bets mm-hmm. and you don't do it as as hard as you should, and that's when you break everything. Mm-hmm. You have to look at it and say, "Like I know I'm against all the laws of physics here, but if I yank this thing as hard as I possibly can, everything is going to stay standing." And I'm just going to do it. And if everything should fly 50 yards and shatter elsewhere, then so be it. I'm going for it. Uh-huh. Well, I think that's a good metaphor for uh, how you've, you've led your career with Broken Lizard. And uh, it's nice to hear that that philosophy, uh, nice to hear that philosophy so succinctly put in, in the metaphor of the, uh, the tablecloth off the table. All right. Thanks, Steve. Um, good to talk to you. And uh, we really appreciate this. Hey, thanks, Joe. I'll talk to you soon.